Hello, food nerds. This is Nick, and you're listening to Literally Delicious. Welcome back for another week of food fun. In today's episode, I'm going to be doing a little bit of sleuthing, trying to figure out a dish from Ann Patchett's 2002 novel, Bel Canto. And this dish is never actually named, so I'm going to take a look at the ingredients mentioned, think about the people cooking, and try to make a dish that I think is likely the one that was made for dinner in the novel. Before we get into talking about that novel, I just wanted to say I really loved this book. I couldn't put it down from the first page till the very end, and it was one of those books that, and I don't know if you've had this experience before, as you continue to think about the ending after you finished it, it really gets more and more interesting the more you think about it. So if you've read Bel Canto and you want to talk about what you think the ending means, reach out to me, food nerds, on email at literallydelishpod at gmail.com or on Instagram at literallydelishpod. So let's get into it. Let's talk about Bel Canto and how food is involved in the novel. Bel Canto is Anne Patchett's 2002 Women's Prize for Fiction award-winning novel, which is an award presented in the United Kingdom which recognizes the best full-length novel written in English by a female author of any nationality. It's quite a mouthful. In the back of the book, which is published by HarperCollins, there's an interview with Ms. Patchett and an editor named Sean Abbott, and they talk together about the inspiration of the book. So before we get into a brief synopsis, I just wanted to alight on how interesting the term bel canto is, and it's an Italian term. It has something to do with opera, which you'll see opera plays a big part in the book, but it's a term with multiple definitions and multiple different meanings, which I think really is a great microcosm for this book. This book has multiple different characters from multiple different nations, multiple different perspectives that are honored and looked at in the book. So I just think that this term as its title was a very clever, clever uh, move by the author. And it's a great title for this book. So what's this book about? Well, at the start, it is an innocent birthday party for a Japanese CEO of a large tech company who is called Mr. Hosokawa in the book. And Mr. Hosokawa is invited to a South American country, which is never given a name, though Abbott, in the interview with the author, says an obvious source for the history of the plot of the book was the guerrilla seizure of the Japanese embassy in Lima, Peru, in the year 1996. And uh, the editor gives more information about this takeover which took place on December 17, 1996. Fourteen heavily armed members of the Tupacamaru Revolutionary Movement seized more than 400 people, attending a diplomatic reception at the residence of the Japanese ambassador in Lima. And I won't tell you anything else about what happened to the 400 hostages and the revolutionary group who took over because I don't want to give any spoilers away about the book. But that is the historical significance and the historical backdrop for the book. So this is 
a birthday party where the host country invites a very famous opera soprano whose name is Roxanne Koss. Miss Koss comes to this birthday party for nothing other than the money that was involved, but little did she know that her life would be switched around like you would not believe. So the birthday party takes place at another major character's house, the vice president of this unnamed country, whose name is Ruben Iglesias. So at Mr. Iglesias' house, the performance by Miss Koss is just coming to an end when the lights shut out, the windows get broken into, and they are surrounded by this military revolutionary group which uh, a lot of the characters refer to as simply the terrorists. So these group, this group of terrorists, we'll call them, is really made up of a lot of young people, children no older than 16 or 17, who are taking part in this coup, which ultimately intended on capturing the president of the unnamed country, who was not in attendance in the book, as you'll see, because he was at home watching soap operas. And Patchett comments on how this character is based upon uh, actual world leaders who have, in fact, missed major diplomatic receptions because of soap operas. Uh, that doesn't really fall into the scope of, of our podcast, but there's just a lot of interesting history that has gone into this book. So what really makes this book stand out, I think, is how it is narrated from so many different perspectives and how it represents the importance of language and translation and the need for a common language for people to join together. And in the case of the novel, the common language is opera. It's 100% not cooking, as you will see here in a second. Cooking is something of a challenge for all of the characters who are trapped inside of this mansion, uh, these characters being major diplomats, people from major corporations, uh, a priest, a doctor. You'll see it's a quite a hodgepodge of characters, but none of them are cooks by any way, shape, or form. So one of the things that Ann Patchett really, really enjoyed about writing this novel, she says in interview with Abbott in the HarperCollins edition of the book, is that the narrative structure, which is a kind of third-person narrative, it where it seamlessly moves among characters, she says, was the hardest part of writing the book. It took her very long, and it's the thing that she wanted to do since she started writing fiction, and it is very successful. I must say that if there is a main viewpoint character or uh, protagonist of the book, it would be Gen Watanabe, who is a Japanese translator who joins with Mr. Hosokawa for his birthday. And basically, Gen is an employee of Mr. Hosokawa. He, because he's a translator and knows so many different languages, is the pretty much the common thread between all of these characters. And when these characters who at the start were being given food by the Red Cross. People were sending food to them. They were really, you know, 
very touched by and concerned for their well-being at the beginning, just send constant food, uh, sandwiches, cake. And at one point, though, after the hostages had been kind of kept there for weeks to months, the food stopped coming in at such regular intervals. And then at one point, prepared food was no longer delivered. And the vice president remarks that they just received a box of chickens, crookneck squash, eggplants, and sweet peppers. So these are the raw ingredients of our dish today. Mr. Iglesias, the vice president, has no idea what to do with these ingredients. So he needs, again, the translator's help to go talk to some different characters who may know how to cook this in a tongue-in-cheek, ironic uh, work in this part. Iglesias and Gen go to Miss Koss, the soprano singer, and ask her if she would help them with the dinner, I guess because she was a woman, and Miss Koss comments on this herself, saying this must be some sort of Latin thing, uh, something of a stereotype on the part of Mr. Iglesias that uh, the woman would go into the kitchen and do the cooking for everybody. So, Miss Koss is not the chef of this meal that I'm going to make, but rather a French diplomat who is in attendance at the birthday party, whose name is Simone Thibault. Thibault is madly in love with his wife, who uh, has been separated from him because they let the women hostages and the children go early on, basically after one night of the hostile takeover. And they keep only one woman there, and that is Miss Koss. So that gives a little bit more of an explanation as to why Mr. Iglesias, the vice president, goes first to Miss Koss and, and not to anyone else. But at any rate, Simone Thibault is very much in love with his wife, and he is kind of a more quiet character, more of a background character, but his role in this meal is so very important. So away to the kitchen, Simone again and the vice president Iglesias go. That's where they run into a problem though. You see all of the revolutionaries have taken all of the knives away from the kitchen so that the hostages can't use them against them. So without any knives, the hostages need to ask permission of the generals who are leading this hostage situation if they can use the knives to prepare dinner for everyone. And they say, no, you can't use the knives, but we will send some of the soldiers with you to do the chopping for you. And this is quite possibly one of the funniest moments of the book because as uh, Thibault gives an eggplant to one of the young military, military people to cut up, he comments that the way that he is peeling the eggplant will make it so that they don't have any dinner, apparently taking too much of the Uh, flesh away along with the skin. So this is uh, quite a tense moment as frustrated Thibault takes his knife, takes the knife away from the soldier and begins to skin the eggplant himself, at which point immediately one of the other soldiers turned to him and points a gun at his head and says that uh, to put the knife down and put the eggplant down or he's going to get shot. So uh, Thibault, he kind of 
works his way out of this. He smooth talks his way out of this. And with the gun held to his head, he very smoothly peels this eggplant. So fortunately, I won't be in such dire straits whenever I make tonight's meal. But um, I thought that this was a funny scene of the book and really captures one of the main themes, which is what is lost in translation, the troubles of communicating, and the success of communicating and finding a common language between so many groups of people. And that is one of the things that I hope to do in this podcast, really, it is that I make so many different kinds of foods from so many different cultures and so many different places. And I hope that you see that food can really be something that brings us together along with the books that these recipes come from. So enough of all that. Let's get into the real nerdy parts here. What dish does Simone Thibault and others make for dinner that night? Well, as I mentioned, they have chickens on hand, some eggplants, some yellow crookneck squash, which is zucchini, and some peppers. The editors of the book club cookbook make an eggplant caponata with the ingredients that they see listed in the text, and that sounds really delicious. And I think that if you're going to have a book club where you read Bel Canto, definitely take a look at their recipe. But I think something needs to be done with these chickens. So what I propose is that the characters in Bel Canto make a roast chicken with a ratatouille. So why that recipe and not some several other kinds of, I'm assuming, French recipes because the, the head chef, Thibaut, we'll call him the head chef, is French himself. So he'll probably cook what he knows. And that is another reason why I don't think caponata was made in the text here. And we never know. So we're all just speculating what food was made. But I think that if they're given chickens, they need to cook them right away or they'll spoil. So the chicken was definitely part of the meal. The, you may wonder, cocavan, are they going to make cocavan? And Simone Thibault suggests that right off the bat. It would be quite a French preparation, right? But unfortunately, all the ban, all the wine that is, had been uh, locked away and kept away from the hostages, probably uh, enjoyed by the revolutionaries and the soldiers themselves. But uh, there's no ban. So whenever you're considering what French chicken dish you're going to make and you don't have any wine, well, that really truly narrows down your options. And I think that a simple roast chicken is what's in order. Now, what about the vegetables? We have eggplant, we have squash, we have onions, garlic, we have tomatoes, and all of these ingredients are crying out to me that we need to make some ratatouille. And so I'm quite excited because this is the first time I think on our podcast that I'm going to get the chance to make French food, some French country cooking here. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the origins of the ratatouille and talk about how we can transform this really wonderful ingredient, which in fact, I believe we worked with last week on the podcast on the episode of uh, Koresh Demjohn for House of Sand and Fog. We did. And uh, I just love eggplant so much. It can be tricky to work with. You got to do some things in its preparation to make sure that it tastes good. 
And I want to leave you here today with a quote from the author, Ann Patchett, about eggplant. And I found this in the Book Club Cookbook, which is a really great text to check out if you want to get started creating dishes that are inspired by literature. That's a really great source that I take a look at for inspiration and is kind of a jumping off point for our episodes. This is Miss Patchett on eggplant. I chose the eggplant for the kitchen scene in Belcanto because I think that eggplants are such misunderstood vegetables. If you have a bunch of people trying to cook who don't speak the same language, some of whom have guns, some of whom are in love, it creates an air of confusion that is best represented by the eggplant. It is, after all, a singularly beautiful vegetable, but also impenetrable. It's horrible raw and difficult to know how to cook. It's something that really needs to be mixed with something else in order to work, and how it looks on the outside and how it is on the inside are completely different things. So I think that that's just a really great quote to leave on. This book is not all that it appears on the outside as well, and for that reason, I think that it is a really great read and a really great subject for this podcast here. Well, that covers everything here today, folks. Uh, the recipes for today are going to come from a classic cookbook, The Art of French Cooking, Mastering the Art of French Cooking by Julia Child, which I'm super excited to cook some recipes from. I never cooked these recipes before, so uh, won't you join me on my journey here of a first-time Julia Child recipe uh, follower, and we're going to have a good time in the kitchen. Let's go there now, food nerds. Why just read it when you can eat it? Hello, food nerds. Welcome back to the kitchen where I am making roast chicken and ratatouille from Belcanto by Ann Patchett. I'm going to get us started on the roast chicken here. I've preheated my oven to 425 degrees because we are going to start the cooking of the roast chicken with browning. Let's prepare our pan for roasting the chicken. I have peeled some carrots here. I'm going to thinly slice them along with some onion. And that's gonna go at the bottom of my roasting pan. And that's going to keep the bottom of the bird from browning too much, also known as burning. Gab is on her way home. She had a long night at work and I'm very happy to be making her some roast chicken. I kind of feel a little bit like Ina Garten whenever she's making roast chicken for Jeffrey when he's on his way home from work. I have, before I started recording, dried off my chicken very well because wet chicken skin is not going to brown. Okay, carrots into the pan at the bottom. The chicken is going to sit upon the bed of carrots and onion. And what this is gonna do as well is flavor the natural juices that are coming from the chicken. We're gonna put those juices over the chicken after it's done cooking, and it's going to be delish. Very simple recipe here. I'm working out of Julia Child's Mastering the Art of French Cooking, which I've never cooked from before, and I'm super excited to do so today. I'm just slicing the onions quite thickly. They're gonna be ultimately discarded at the end 
their services will be used for their flavor and for protecting the bottom of the chicken from the pan. Okay, so roasting pan ready. I'm going to switch my board out here and bring over my chicken. I have a four and a half pound chicken here. I have removed the bag of the innards and I have let it come to room temperature. I've put it out for about 30 minutes. It's gonna be completely fine. We're gonna cook it really well. What I'm going to do first is take about a tablespoon of butter and rub down the inside with it. So this is butter that's going to be flavoring the breast from the inside out. Okay. So butter in and a pinch of salt right inside the cavity here. And then flavoring it from the inside. Okay, so I need to close up this cavity now. I'm going to do so by trussing the chicken. Now, if you've never trussed a chicken before, the best thing I can tell you to do right now is to check out YouTube videos about it. It's gonna be hard for me to describe, but I'll try my best here. I got about two feet of butcher's twine. I'm gonna slide that underneath the chicken's uh, breast up now, more toward the back of the chicken, right above the butt. I want it to be even on both sides. I'm going to cross the twine around about where the cavity of the chicken is, come around the legs, making like a figure eight, coming around the back side of the chicken now. I wanna make sure those legs are tucked in really well at the top. Coming around the back side of the chicken, making three loops. One, two, and three. And that's going to ensure that this does not slip off. I'm going to pull it tight now. And voila, trust chicken. Okay, now I'm going to take the remaining butter, about a tablespoon, and rub down the outside of this chicken here, making sure that this has got lots of great flavor and that it browns super nicely for us. Okay, so this is ready to go into the roasting pan and into our 425 degree preheated oven. I'm gonna give my hands a wash and I am going to switch out my board and then I'm going to get us started next on the ratatouille. Don't go anywhere. All right, so our chicken is in the oven at 425 degrees, breasts up. What I'm going to do is every five minutes rotate onto the side and brush on top some melted butter and olive oil. That's gonna make sure the skin browns nice. And then we're going to roast for about an hour and a half. I'm working with a four and a half pound chicken. Julia Child's recipe book, Mastering the Art of French Cooking, has a lot of very interesting tips, 
tricks and also some uh, shout outs against American cooks who overcook their chickens. So cooking a chicken, roasting a chicken, is as much about listening to it in the oven, I've learned, as it is looking at it and looking for signs that it's done cooking. We're going to cook ours to a more, shall we say, American internal temperature of nearly 190 degrees, but the French will cook theirs to about 175 or 180. Right now, you can hear me skinning, peeling an eggplant, and I'm gonna slice the eggplant into about half inch discs for the ratatouille. When you're looking for eggplant, when you're shopping for eggplant, you wanna search for smaller eggplants because they are going to be less bitter. What makes an eggplant bitter, you may ask? Well, there is a toxin, it's not a toxin, there is a substance in its flesh that uh, as an eggplant ages, it uh, makes it more bitter. So the bigger an eggplant is, the older it is, the more developed it is. So the way that we are countering that bitterness is by salting it. So buy smaller eggplants, buy fresher eggplants, but then also salt them so that you can avoid that bitter taste. As I skin this eggplant here, I'm reminded of the novel Bel Canto, where Thibaut is making fun of the one soldier for peeling the eggplant too roughly. I feel like he would be making fun of me right now, but he's not here, so I'll do what I want. You definitely wanna, when peeling the eggplant, which is an optional step, by the way, the, depending on the size of the eggplant, the skin can be more rubbery in texture, so you might wanna get rid of that, but this is an optional step that I'm doing here just to stay true to the text, where each eggplant was peeled, but not seeded. Okay, so as these eggplants sit in salt, I'm going to get started on the squash, also making sure that I baste my bird every five minutes in butter and olive oil. Okay, eggplant here. Pouring some salt over it now. Okay, going to clear my cutting board for a second so then I can start working on my squash. I'm using yellow squash as it's what's referenced in the text, but they call it crookneck squash. So what's crookneck squash? Crookneck squash is yellow squash, which is a type of zucchini. And it is a little bit sweeter than the usual yellow squash. I'm gonna get, I'd say, three small squash and just start slicing them in the same thickness that you cut the eggplant. Leaving the skins on here, because it's quite tasty. If it weren't raining outside and getting ready to storm, I might take all of these vegetables out and grill them. Though we know that the hostages in the book, it feels so weird talking about hostages while I'm cooking, but that's where we are. The hostages would never have access to a grill. So we're going to just make do with our oven, our stovetop. Okay, 
Got another zucchini here to gut. Hope you're enjoying all the slicing sounds, food nerds. These are not hard recipes. There's not a whole lot of prep involved. And what's perfect about the ratatouille is by the time that it's finished, your uh, roast chicken will be done as well. And Julia Child actually recommends in the art uh, mastering the art of French cooking, ratatouille on the side of her roast chicken. Okay, squash is done. I'm going to get my basting brush now and make sure that I rub the butter and oil over top of the chicken. Tongs will be helpful here for making sure that I can rotate the chicken. Mmm, it looks very good, yummy. I'm gonna do this quickly here now, so you may not hear from me for a moment, because I don't want this to lose the heat in the oven. One of the advantages of trussing the chicken is it makes this process a whole lot easier of rotating around the chicken. So this bad boy doesn't seem to want to flip over. Okay, flipped. And brushed. And back in you go. Ten more minutes, the chicken is going to brown in the oven. Meanwhile, let's start thinking about roasting off our squash and eggplant. Well, not roasting, but sauteing rather. I'm going to saute the squash first, and when I do that, I will let the eggplant kind of soak in its salt, pull out some of the moisture, and remove some of the bitterness. So eggplant to the side. In a big skillet, I'm gonna heat up some olive oil. I think that Gab is really going to enjoy this roast chicken. I'm going to place the squash in the hot skillet in a single layer and I'm just gonna brown it nicely on each side. Ah, here we go. Got a nice little sizzle here. Going through all of the squash is going to take me probably about 10 minutes. I'll check back with you then and talk about roasting this chicken the rest of the way and assembling the ratatouille. Don't go anywhere. All right, as I just roast my last bit of eggplant here, about a minute on each side, just browning in a skillet, I'll let you know that as I've been finishing the batches of squash and eggplant, I've been moving them to a pan, a sheet pan lined with paper towel, just to dab off the extra oil. I've rotated my chicken for its final browning stage at 425, and now I'm going to reduce the heat to 350 without turning it back over. And from there, it's going to roast for about another hour and a half. So, I'm gonna flip over this eggplant here, and we'll get started 
with the other components of the ratatouille. What you'll need is an onion, green pepper or uh, red bell pepper, whichever you prefer, garlic, and tomatoes. I'm going to use whole peeled tomatoes in a can here because tomatoes are not in season right now. I just want to get some really good tomato flavor. So to start, I'm going to dice my onion and my bell pepper. You may be wondering, how does Ratatouille get its name? You may have watched the Disney Pixar movie about the rat who becomes a chef, who becomes famous for making the Ratatouille. Well, where did that word, that name, come from? Well, it actually comes from France, of course, and the south, uh, southeastern part of France called Provence, which uh, has more of a Mediterranean cuisine to it, less of the kind of heavy butter cuisine that you may recognize as French cuisine. And the name comes from the French words rata, which indicates a stew with whole pieces. And I want to say tuyer, which is a verb. And sorry if I mispronounced that horribly. And it's a verb which refers to the action of mixing the ingredients together. So it's a stew where you mix together whole ingredients. The recipe originated in the 18th century in Provence countryside, thanks to some farmers who wanted to use some extra vegetables at the end of the season before they gone before they go bad. You can get ratatouille now in restaurants, though its origins is very simple and rustic country food. I'm dicing my onion finely here. Same for my pepper. And I'm going to put this in the skillet to saute to uh, make sure that it gets nice and tender. And I'm going to put it with some olive oil and let that sweat down for about 10 minutes. Then we'll begin assembling the ratatouille. Okay, onion in the pan. Make sure I lower the heat down here. So I don't brown the onion at all. I just want to sweat it down. What is your favorite color bell pepper food, nerds? Mine is the orange bell pepper. Bell peppers, as they age or as they ripen, change color. So they aren't different plants at all. They are just at different stages of their ripeness where Green is the youngest, yellow is the next up, and then orange and finally red. Me and Gab love bell peppers. We eat, I think, a bell pepper each a day in salads and whatnot. They're just very fresh and refreshing. I was doing all this talking here. I didn't get my bell pepper diced. Okay, so the bell pepper goes into the pan with the onion, and we're gonna let those sweat down together. 
Excellent. All right, food nerds. I'm going to take a short break while I sweat down the peppers and onions and get the tomatoes ready. Don't touch that dial. The onions and peppers have been cooking slowly for 10 minutes. Now it's time to crush some garlic up. Just going to remove it from its skin here and punch it down. Kind of using my knife to smush it here. All right. Always add the garlic last so that it does not burn. Stir that in here and add a little bit of salt and pepper at this point. Make sure that everything is nice and seasoned. Give it a stir up. Okay, now it is time for our tomatoes. I've taken them out of the can, drained them, and now I'm going to move them over to my cutting board to cut them into strips. And Julia Child asks for one half inch strips of the uh, pulp of the tomatoes, and, and who am I to talk back to Julia Child? So that's exactly what I will do here now. When I think about Julia Child, I actually think about uh, Julie and Julia, which I think I referenced before on this podcast, which stars Meryl Streep as Julia Child and Amy Adams as a blogger who makes all of Julia Child's recipes. So I just think of Meryl Streep whenever I think about Julia Child on uh, that movie. Okay, so I've got the onions and peppers in the pan with the garlic. I'm going to place the tomatoes on top of the onions and garlic in a single layer. I'm gonna take a photo of this food nerds for Instagram at literally delish pod. So you can see what this looks like here, assembled according to this recipe. As you do all of this, don't forget about your bird. You want to baste your chicken once every 10 minutes or so to make sure that you are making it nice and juicy and making sure the skin is nice and crispy. Okay, tomatoes are in. Cover your skillet now and let those tomatoes cook down on the low heat for about five minutes. Let's go check on our bird while we wait for those tomatoes to cook. Smells very nice. You can smell those vegetables cooking down too, along with our chicken here. Going to get some of the juices and squirt them over the top of our chicken friend. That's looking great. Keeping my eye on the clock at about uh, 50 minutes in, I'm going to flip it onto its other side. 
Okay, let us talk about Ratatouille here again. So, I'm going to take off the lid here and actually baste this tomato mixture. Uh, not with like a chicken or a turkey baster, but just with a spoon, pull up some of its juices and lay them over top of the tomatoes so that we're making a nice little stew here. Pull the pan toward you and baste away. All right. I'm gonna leave those tomatoes go here for a few more moments and get out more of their juice. And then once that tomato mixture has cooked down, we'll assemble the ratatouille. Let's get right into it then. I turned up the heat on the skillet and reduced down the liquid in the tomato mixture. I'm gonna switch pans here now to a high walled pan or a casserole, whichever you've got. I'm going to add a third of the tomato mixture to the bottom of the pan. I'm gonna spread that out in an even layer. And then to that, I'm going to add about um, half of the eggplants and the zucchinis. All of my Italian friends and family just uh, rolled over because I said zucchinis. FYI, zucchini is already plural. So no need to say zucchinis. Okay. I'm going to lay it out kind of radially. Don't forget to season with uh, some herbs. I'm going to use oregano, thyme, and basil. Very uh, Provence flavors. So just a layer of herbs and then your layer of eggplant and zucchini. I alternate the eggplant and zucchini with one another to make it look nice and pretty, but you do whatever you think looks best. Okay, I'm going to finish arranging the eggplant and the squash, and I will show you all how to cook this down the rest of the way here, so don't go anywhere, we're almost uh, fully done with our ratatouille. Can't wait to taste it. Okay, food nerds, I've finished assembling my casserole of ratatouille. I'm going to put it covered over a low heat and let that simmer for 10 minutes. Meanwhile, let's turn our attention back here to the chicken, which has been roasting now for about 45 minutes. I think it's time to flip it over. I'm going to first baste it. That's basted now. I'm taking my tongs and I'm going to flip the bird over onto its other side now. And now at this point, you should go ahead and salt the bird. Okay, so at about halfway through the cooking process, take your bird, baste it, flip it over, salt it, and let it go the rest of the way. All right, so I think all that's left to do is simmer this ratatouille for 10 minutes 
and then take that off and let it reduce down for a few more and then we're gonna be ready to eat. I'm excited. Don't go anywhere. All right, food nerds. My ratatouille has simmered, covered for about 10 minutes. I took the lid off, basted it with the juices at the bottom, and now I am slightly raising the heat and letting those juices cook down a little bit more so that you only have a little bit of juice left at the bottom of the pan. And then I'm going to move it off of the heat and let it uh, sit for as long as uh, you would like. You can serve this room temperature. You could even serve this cold. It's all good. Okay, so while we have a few moments here as the chicken is continuing to cook almost ready, I wanted to share with you a few notes, a few words of wisdom from Julia Child about how to tell when a chicken is done. For a whole chicken, the last drops of juice drained from the vents will run clear yellow with no rosy traces. While an underdone chicken is not fit to eat, it is a shame to cook to overcook chicken, allowing the meat to dry out and lose its juice and flavor. However, we have noticed that the French criterion of doneness seems like underdoneness to some American palates. We consider a chicken to be cooked at a meat thermometer reading of 175 to 180 degrees and have based our recipes on these figures. The figure on American thermometers is 190 degrees. So food nerds, you heard it from Julia Child herself, when to tell when your chicken is done. Here are a few other helpful uh, tips that she leaves for us here in her recipe about when to tell when to maybe go ahead in and test with your meat thermometer. Indications that the chicken is almost done are a sudden rain of sputters in the oven. That sounds kind of scary. A swelling of the breast. A slight puff of the skin. The drumstick is tender when pressed and can move in its socket. Okay, so there's a lot to go off of here. I think it's helpful to be able to, if you're going to go through the trouble of cooking a whole chicken, cook it well and uh, follow this very simple recipe. Okay, now for real, all there's left to do is to taste. I'll wait for Gab to come home and we'll have a little taste here together, food nerds. Don't go anywhere. Hey, food nerds, Gab's here. What is up, food nerds? I'm back, back from work. Back from work. Ready to ready dig into some eat. chicken. How does this look to you, Gab? It looks good. I will say my hesitation always with chicken is that I like, I'm obsessed with making it like as dry as humanly freaking possible because I don't want to eat raw meat, but it looks totally cooked, so I'm excited. It is totally cooked <laughs> to 190. Julia Child was rolling over. What did she say? She says you should cook it the French way, which is like 175. Oh, absolutely. The hell not. <laughs> well, let's taste it. So we've got okay. chicken here, chicken breast. Oh, that's really good. Damn. Nice and juicy. It's nice and juicy. It has like a nice like gentle saltiness to it, mm -hmm. but it also has like flavor. I'm going straight in for the thigh. I'm a thigh guy. I don't eat dark meat, but the breast is like really, really good. Good job. Very good. What'd you cook it in? Itself. Itself. <laughs> Just its juices and some butter. Oh. Should I try some ratatouille you now? No yeah. ghee, just butter. Mm -hmm. Tell me about the ratatouille. 
It's a stew of squash, eggplant, tomatoes, onions, peppers, and some Bell Provence pepper? seasoning. Yep. Oh, okay. Enjoy. Mmm. Super good. Super flavorful. I love the bell peppers tomato situation going on here. It's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, Julia Child recommends that we open up a bottle of rosé as a side, shall we? We have red open. <laughs> <laughs> this is the great debate, always, food nerds. Well, I hope you enjoyed this week's cook. Some roast chicken and some ratatouille. And stick around because coming right at you is some dessert. Wait, some before, last you bite. End, before you end off, if you were like serving this like to a crowd, what sort of like carb would you include? Like we have a protein, we have some veggies. Would you include like rice, like pasta? Um, French bread. French bread. That's it. What? And then lots and lots of dessert. Lots and lots of dessert. Love that. All right, food nerds. What should they do, Gab? Stay hungry. Well, how fun was that episode, food nerds? I really enjoyed making roast chicken and ratatouille with you here. I hope that you have as much fun as I did in the kitchen as you take on this recipe for yourself. To find today's recipe, go to Instagram at literallydelishpod and check out images and the recipe that I share with you there. I'll see you then, and I'll see you next week for a new episode. But before then, the last bite. For today's last bite, I wanted to leave you with the words of our author for this week, Ann Patchett, who talks about learning and how this novel actually grows out of a place of wanting to learn more. Patchett, in her interview with Sean Abbott, says, Something this book grows out of is my enormous shame of not speaking any other languages. I can do a hotel and restaurant French and a hotel and restaurant Italian, but I don't have another language, and it's something that I really, really dislike about myself. And of course, the other thing is that I have no talent or training at all in music. I think that what it sounds like is a very pessimistic view of Ann Patchett, who of course is an amazing writer, right? It has so many other great talents, but I think that what Bel Cantos says and what sticks out to me above all is that if you've got the time, I know that nobody wants to be a hostage and don't think that I'm going there, but if you had the time to get out of your life and to do something that you felt really passionate about for Roxanne Koss, the famous soprano, she continues to sing and she starts to train new students in how to sing. For Simone Thibault, he begins reading cookbooks during his time in uh, captivity. And I think that it's never too late. This podcast is a testament to wanting to know how to do something better and going about doing it. So take time for yourself, learn something new, and enjoy some yummy food, food nerds. I'll see you back here next week. Mm -hmm.